Hello, I'm Dick Foth, and welcome to Known, Stories to Make Sense of It All. You say, that's a bit of an audacious claim, Stories to Make Sense of It All. How are you going to do that? I think by listening to the story of an individual, it puts skin on truth, and it informs our own lives. So these podcasts are about those kinds of conversations and reflections, and the hope is that as we explore other people's worlds and journeys, we get help for our own. At the heart of it all, we want to engage the story of Jesus of Nazareth to get perspective, actually, for how life really works. Thanks for tuning in. Let's do this. The sound of children playing on a playground takes us back, for those of us who are older, to a time in our lives that was probably more simple, certainly more fun, and uh, a time of great creativity. A playground was where things came together. Get different kids from different backgrounds, from cultures came together. It was a meeting place. There's a geographic place like that in the United States. It's the only place in the country where four states come together at the same point. That point is 37 degrees north latitude, 109 degrees west longitude. And it's where Arizona, Utah, Colorado, and New Mexico come together. The region is called the Four Corners. And much of it is both populated and and owned by semi-autonomous nation called the Native American nations of the Navajo, Hopi, Ute, and Zuni. It's It's a rural, rugged, arid area. But some fascinating things have happened there and continue to happen there because of the people who come from there. And I want you to meet two of them this morning. This is where... Four Corners and Playgrounds intersect. My guests this morning are Dan and Tommy Sue Cox. They are a, a delightful man and woman, a lovely couple, who happen to be um, in education. She is from Shiprock, New Mexico. He is from a town 40 miles north called Cortez, Colorado. She comes from the Navajo Nation, and it's there that we'll pick up our conversation. So you're half Navajo. I am. What's the other half? Uh, my dad's, uh, it's so white and Choctaw and Cherokee. So my dad's side of the family is from Oklahoma. You've got it all. Yes, I do. You're the real American. Uh, yes, right? yes, Isn't thank it? you. Can you speak Navajo? I can. Can you? Mm-hmm. Can you say good morning? Yes, yate abene. I knew that. <laughs> <laughs> How people meet is always fascinating to me. And along the way, Tommy Sue moved 40 miles north from Shiprock to Cortez, and uh, Cortez, Colorado. And in high school, they connected, even though they were very different people. So I asked her, so what kind of person were you? A uh, band geek and, you know, smart kid, and uh, Dan was a jock. You know, he was like, really? and I had this perception that athletes were not very smart. And so he's not as smart as you were? No, huh? he wasn't at the time. <laughs> but so, you, yeah. you helped him? <laughs> right, right, no. <laughs> That's great. In our lives, especially in the teenage years as we're moving from home to the, to the larger world, we oftentimes ask ultimate questions about the nature of the universe and 
is there a God? And, well, Dan and Tommy Sue had some thoughts on that. When in your mind, if you can think of this, did God become more than a word to you? Youth camp in Cedar Edge, Colorado, oh, yeah. in high school. Yeah. And um, we had a, a guest speaker, and his name is Dave. And now I wish, like, is it Dave Cook? Tommy mm-hmm. was a, mi- a missionary. Dave Grant. To, Dave, oh, Dave Grant. Grant. Oh, Thank yeah. you. Oh, Dave yeah. Grant. Yeah, sure. Who uh, spoke. He's still going strong at 70 or 71. You know, and but I do remember him speaking and, yeah. and uh, just talking about... Um, God was more than just this um, man with a hammer up in the sky, and uh, <laughs> it really was a shift for me. Yeah, and how I, how I perceived God through through His message. How about you, Tommy? Mm-hmm. My earliest recollection of God was like at a Sunday school. My grandparents, my paternal grandparents, took me to church in a Methodist church in Shiprock, and I remember going to like a Sunday school. I yeah. just had this memory of you know, like a flannel board lesson kind of thing. And, um, but I didn't really have a relationship with God until I was, um, 13. Hmm. And I, um, a friend of mine invited me to go to, go to the youth convention Hmm. at our church. Mm -hmm. And, and I gave my heart to the Lord when I was 13 Hmm. and, um, just really desired a relationship with Jesus and Hmm. that love. I don't think it's uh, too much of a reach to say now that they had the God piece, I put that in quotes, uh, sort of nailed down, or at least the journey started. Then we find out, okay, what are we going to do with our lives? What about careers? Turns out they both got into education, into teaching. I started in college as a business administration. Mm-hmm. Um, my dad, my, again, all my yeah. dad's side were all educators. My I grandpa, see. my dad, oh, my okay. nanny, my aunt, you yeah. know, everybody is educators. And um, they kind of begged me not to become an educator. Sure. So I went into business administration. We wanted you to make a dollar. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, you know how yeah. you make a small fortune in education? Yeah. You start with a large fortune. (laughs) (laughs) So um, my second year of college, I took a child psychology class as part of my, you know, psych requirements. And then we did a case study and a head start, and and I fell in love with the kids. So I certainly understand the teaching part, the interaction and the chance to see kids grow, but I'm not quite sure that I got when I was talking to Dan and Tommy Sue was the principal part. How do you move from teacher to principal, or maybe for me, even a bit more significant? Why would you do that? As a teacher, it was really difficult to do my job um, if my principal didn't do his job. I get it. Okay. And um, I found myself in a lot of leadership roles and um, did that very well. And uh, and felt like that might be the best next step to support teachers. And, um, and so I pursued that. Right. And, yeah. You know, it's interesting. There's this, there's this phrase in the, in, in the letters that are written in the New Testament that says, pray for those in authority so that we can have peaceful and godly lives. And usually mm-hmm. we reference that because mm-hmm. it, it mm-hmm. does in terms of political leadership. Mm-hmm. Or the, but that's true in any, in, in any capacity. Mm-hmm. If the leader doesn't do his or her job, mm-hmm. 
then the effects are felt downstream, aren't you? Right. That's just how it is. Right. So you became a principal that way. Mm-hmm. How about you? Uh, very similar. Yeah. Um, had the opportunity through a, a course of events to assume different kinds of leadership roles as a teacher within a school building and um, and and just made the decision that um, that I could have a greater impact on kids and um, and on teaching and learning in a building if uh, if I would aspire to a leadership role like a principal in, in- Part of that has to be, you know, I was president of a small college, which is not dissimilar in some ways, but the, the, the person in leadership creates the culture mm-hmm. or frames, at least fuels the culture, Absolutely. right? Mm-hmm. And so if it's a vibrant learning environment that we want, there are certain things you have to do to mm-hmm. have that happen. Mm-hmm. And uh, I have a friend who's in in uh, strategic thinking about corporations and other entities. And his phrase is, culture trumps strategy every time. I would agree with that. That that, that, that sort of seeps into your pores. I have another friend who says, when good things happen in a house, Mm -hmm. friendly gets into the walls. Mm -hmm. And I think that there is a... There is a sense of that whenever you walk into an entity, a school. I had the privilege of flying 100 miles off the coast of Virginia once with some friends and landing on the deck of an aircraft carrier and spending the night on an aircraft carrier and absorbing the feel of that culture mm-hmm. because it is a, everybody knows the mission, whatever it is. Right. So, mm-hmm. so the principle sets the mission. Mm-hmm. So here we are, spring of 2018, And education across the country, and I'll just speak here in the United States, has has always had its challenges just by the nature of it, but it has some big challenges today, whether it's the technological challenges or the family challenges or um, almost anything, Mm -hmm. funding always, you know, that sort of thing. Amidst all the other challenges of a changing culture and changing world and high technology and all of that, I asked Dan if there was one sort of core issue or core uh, foundational piece that they had to deal with on a continuing basis from which other things were precipitated. This is what he said. I have kids in classrooms that live in $3 million homes that sit in a, in a seat next to a kiddo where three families might be living together in a mobile home there you go. and the kids don't care. Yeah. They really don't. But that's, that is a okay. good perspective of, 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 of the diversity challenge in my building. Okay. How many students in your school? A little over 300. 300. And, and how many students mm-hmm. do you have here? We have 460 460, mm-hmm. and we're in a different demographic area. Mm-hmm. And yes. by the way, we just heard a violin in the background. And we're in an elementary school in 2018. This is not 1944, <laughs> where music in schools was sort of expected, mm-hmm. and especially violin music. Where in the world did that come from? Talk to me about that real quick. About 15 years ago, I had a teacher who, um, she was a private violin teacher and uh, was our music teacher. And at that time, we were around probably 100 less 
100 fewer students. Right. And so we had to make some budget cuts. And one of them was to reduce her from 80% to 60%. Um, so she'd be here just three days a week. So she wrote a grant to the, a local foundation, the Ceramus Foundation, for um, this violin program. And we um, targeted students that, uh, well, at that time, we could only take eight students. And it was, you know, to give kids in poverty an opportunity and instill in them a love of, of music. And over the past 15 years, it's grown from eight students to 160 students, kindergarten through fifth grade, that that have violin and this currently. Uh, currently. And our, I mean, out of a school of 460? Yes. 160 mm-hmm. play the violin? They do. Yes. What do you think this is, Europe? I know. It's wonderful. <laughs> Actually, that it's is... Fort Collins. And Fort Collins is such a supportive community. Yeah. Wowie. Yes. Yeah. So like a third of the school mm-hmm. plays the violin. Right. At some level. Right. Violin, mandolin, and um, string cello. String Yes, Is strings. that right? Mm-hmm. Your demographic, given yes. that. Yes, yes. Your, your demographic right. is, yes. and a third of those kids play the violin. They do. Okay, mm-hmm. tell me the demographic. Um, so about um, probably 60% of our students qualify for free and reduced lunch, so okay. live in poverty. And um, then we have this this beautiful spectrum of, of um, families that live in the local neighborhood, and we're in Old Town, Fort Collins, and so there are, you know, million-dollar homes. And um, our district is also very strong um, in supporting school choice. So the families who stay at Laurel choose to stay here. Wanna they choose here. their neighborhood school, and and um, and they want the diversity that we have. So we have economic diversity. We serve the homeless shelter. We take the overflow of families from the um, women's shelter, the crisis center shelter, and um, and then we have families that are um, you know independently wealthy and um, CSU professors and doctors and. Um, so we have that diversity, and, and our ethnic diversity includes families that are um, white and Hispanic and two or more races and um, Native American and African American. Any, so. any Navajo kids you get to talk No, to. not anymore. I have one. Our kids, yeah. <laughs> I have two. Our, two of our three children went to school here, so at the time we did. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's yes. fantastic. And, um, and then uh, our... Our learning diversity, our kids who have learning disabilities. We have one of uh, four programs in our district for students with severe learning disabilities, severe learning and physical disabilities. And students who um, we have on the other end of the spectrum, I guess, would be students who are gifted and talented. So we have everything in between. And Mm. um, again, our families who, um, who love our population and our diversity choose to be here and it's really beautiful Mm -hmm. and within that learning atmosphere that that friendly in the walls culture there is this range of needs from each individual student and teachers have an enormous task and privilege to um, speak to that I think you could say this of just about every school, um, at least in northern Colorado, if not nationally. Um, the number of students who come to us every day in, from um, some kind of crisis in their life. Um, their, when they walk in, 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 their home, in their home, home life, life. 
um, they they walk in with very um, specific or explicit social emotional learning needs, and um, the challenge is how can we effectively meet those needs for kids while at the same time providing a really rigorous um, academic environment yeah. um, because those are those are our kids who may not do well at taking risks in their learning mm. and and so we need to what, provide what does that mean taking risks well, in their learning uh, you know we regardless of the age sure. um we ask kids to come into the classroom every day and think about the world differently. We try to approach learning from a perspective of growth mindset. Mm-hmm. In my building, um, I'll ask kids, what word do we believe in? And the word is yet. Because it, it may be, I can't read that book yet. I can't do those math problems yet. And When um, you started to say that word, I thought you were going to say Yes. Oh, yet, mm-hmm. but yet, but it is. It's trying is it? to approach the world yeah, from yeah. a growth mindset. It's a journey. Um, isn't it? here, here's where I'm at. I learn best from mistakes, and that's why I say taking risk in your learning requires you to accept the challenge of making mistakes. And and our students who come to us from crisis, they they need that safe place with loving, caring adults around them and peers that accept them from, for who they are. Right. Um, and, and in only building that kind of environment where our students feel safe, can they then take the risks in their learning? It's interesting that you use the word feel, say, because advancement or whatever it is doesn't just come from motivational speeches, does it? It has to do with the friendly that gets in the walls. Mm-hmm. I, think. I mm-hmm. agree with you. You know, that, this is, that there's a space that, that one knows, but, but because they feel it when they walk in. Mm-hmm. Atmospherics or atmosphere of a place or a room or a family. Mm-hmm. That, I don't know about us humans, but we tend to be able to have the, we have these sensors that that picked that up. Mm-hmm. Back in the 50s, when I was in elementary school, or late 40s, um, there were three entities that sort of meshed to create, in some ways create who somebody was, at least educationally. One was the school. One was usually some kind of religious institution. Mm-hmm. Not, not everybody would have that, but a lot of people did. And then the family. Right. So to the degree that those three strands are eroded by whatever things. Mm-hmm. That's a challenge for our kids. And we have 12 grandkids right. and, and I'm, I'm sitting here thinking, man, I wish a couple of those lived in North Fort Collins or in Loveland so they could go to your school. <laughs> and, oh, and they go to you. good schools. But. Our teachers face the challenge of meeting the needs of 20 to 25 students who come from various backgrounds and various emotions and needs that they bring every day. And um, the students that are in their classroom, we want we want to celebrate the diversity that brings challenges to the teacher to be able to meet that those diverse mm-hmm. needs. Students that have learning disabilities and students right. who are three grade levels above. You know, so you're teaching in fourth grade students who are reading first at first grade level all the way to seventh grade level, and that teacher has to have 
a really strong um, pedagogical um, basket of of um, uh, tricks, I guess. Uh, it just really tricks has a lot tools, of tools huh? to be able to meet those needs and mm-hmm. to be able to effectively ensure that every student is growing academically. Right. And also, right. alongside that, meeting their emotional needs and being the, the anchor for their classroom for students to be able to know that this teacher loves me enough to push me hard, This I can trust right. this teacher, and we have a strong relationship. He or she are, is going to show up every day for me. Yeah. They're here for me. Yeah. And um, that is a foundation that uh, takes some time to build. With mm-hmm. some of our kids that come and this has been there. 10th school in a year for some of them it seems like but we our teachers are really gifted at that and it takes a special person to be able to teach in a school with high needs so that's the teacher's part what about the principal principal has so many roles um you have to be the strategic leader. You have to be the academic leader. You have to be the facilitative leader in building leadership qualities in those around you um and you must be the culture, you, you ha- the culture leader. You have to hold the standard of what of what the culture of your building is high, so that um, so that you never lose sight of that. Not just from a mission and vision, mm-hmm. but but also in what do we stand for as a school? What do we believe in? What do we believe t- teaching and learning should look like in our classrooms, in our hallways, on the playground, in the lunchroom, um, you, you really have to, um, you have to be so deeply committed to each of those areas, um, but, but primarily deeply committed to, to the identity of the school and what it means for your school community. So the principal sets the tone, so other good things could happen. I'd say in a school like mine, um, it's an opportunity for their children to experience the real life, the real life world. You know, okay. just that with our diversity, it's, it's pretty unique in Fort Collins, honestly. Um, they're going to have students with a lot of challenges and the parents going to have a lot of opportunities to share with their children how to... Um, navigate and learn how to minister to each other. You know, when you have children serve each other, serve each other yeah. That student that their own children will learn how to love mm-hmm. no matter what. You know, they already do. That's the beauty of our grade, like Dan was describing yeah. earlier. They don't see the differences. They, they aren't old enough to be cynics yet. Right, right, right. exactly. <laughs> they just love each other, and their friendships are genuine. The classic phrase in Latin for a teacher is in loco parentis, in place of the parent, which was a very interesting framework historically. So kids go off for however many hours in school each day. They come home. And what is it that we as parents can do to build on that experience or to nurture it or to blend with it? I believe it's important to engage in a conversation. Um, I, I don't think it's enough to say, how was school today? Yeah. Doesn't get there, does it? Um, no, because... Um, 
there's just so many distractions. You know, the kiddos walk in. There's YouTube, there, whatever. Yeah. How was school today? Fine. Yeah. Or not so good. And, and you have to ask these probing questions. Um, but, it, but really engaging your child in a conversation. And some of the most powerful ones are, um, you know, did you play with someone new on the playground today? Um, who did you talk to in the lunchroom? Who did you sit by? Tell me about that kiddo, but you know, or or even tell me two really neat things about that, because it a couple things happen. Um, it helps to engage kids in what their day was like in a positive way, to remind them that our goal is to to find positive things in the people around us. Um, it's much more engaging. You don't get the nothing answer. Mm. Um, but I also think it helps to build that that principle of empathy and um, how can we look at the world through someone else's eyes. So you're saying empathy is created when you have the conversation around the dinner table. For our young learners, yes. For, for, wow. I, 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 at least I believe it is. No, I... And, I. and I think it's an important... I think, you know, in many ways, Tommy's talking about the richness of the experience of diversity and yeah. academic rigor and doing your best and approaching life, you know, in, 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 from a perspective of how am I going to be better today than I was yesterday. Right. Um, but I think it's really important to have that foundational principle of empathy mm -hmm. um, because it is not just about me, but let's, let's see if we can look at the world through the lens of those around us. Well, just from these few minutes of conversation, it's pretty clear that being a teacher or a principal, an administrator in a school of any kind is not for the faint of heart. To what degree is, is that a calling? Not just a job, but a calling. When we first got married, we went to Southwestern in right. Wapsahatchee with full intention of becoming missionaries. And missionaries? Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. We had uh, this idea, you know, that we were called to a foreign country um, to do something really spectacular. Um, to be honest with you, um, that year was personally one of the most miserable times in my life. Yeah. Didn't feel like I fit in. I, uh, it, you know, it's just, um, it just didn't align with where I felt like God was taking me. Um, Went, went back to school at Evangel, yeah. degrees in biology and chemistry, and kind of had this idea that I was going to go to medical school. And I remember being counseled by Dr. Collins and, and Dr. Davidson, two very stalwart men of God who were in the science department at Evangel. And, and, and I remember telling them, I, I want to become a teacher. And Dr. Collins said, well, I wondered when you were going to figure it out. And so over the course of 28 years of being an educator, I've discovered that walking into a public school every day is my mission. It's, it's the ministry that God called me to. Uh -huh. and, and I think when you ask about uh, how do you hire people, you have to really try to dig down to um, you, you, you ask, do, do you want to know if they have an understanding of all of that? But the other side is, is 
you know, whether it's a, a God calling or, or a personal um, connection, can you live a life daily that's committed to kids? Mm. And, and, and so that's kind of where we're at. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is my mission field. To the degree that we feel loving children and helping them grow and learn and be productive people in society is our mission, to that degree, we always ask for help from others, from teachers, and, and from God. We call that prayer. And uh, I just pose the question, so this is a public environment. What about prayer? Not, not like kneeling in the halls or anything, but just this idea of uh, finding encouragement through prayer. I'm always praying. Always. 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 Yeah. 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 And I actually have a group of Christian teachers who meet once a week and pray um, for our school. That's great. Dan? You know, the, the joke is often, if as long as there are tests in school, there will be prayer, <laughs> be prayer in the school. <laughs> and, I, and I just believe that as long as there are kids in school, there will be prayer in school and for schools. I have to admit that sitting and talking with Dan and Tommy Sue was such a refreshing thing and so encouraging that I couldn't help but reflect on my own experience as a little guy in an elementary school. When I was seven years old, I was in a British boarding school in South India. It, was, it had a, a faith base, so they had little chapels once in a while. And, and one day, Miss Smith from New Zealand gave the talk, and at the end she said, if you want to know more about Jesus, at the end of this chapel, go to the principal's office. And I often say, you know, the principal's office is a huge hurdle to the kingdom of God. But as I talk to you, my thought would be, if they came to your offices, that wouldn't be true. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Tommy Sue, Dan, thanks for being with Thank me. Thank you. Thank you. See ya. <laughs> there was a song when I was growing up, a little ditty that went, school days, school days, good old golden rule days. What's the golden rule? Do unto others as you want them to do to you. As we come to the end of this school year, 2018, I think that's a great place to stop the program and start doing that. God bless you.